Good morning. Again, I'm Mary Sue. I'm a very grateful recovering compulsive overeater sugar addict. Thank you so much for inviting me to speak this morning. It is truly an honor. Um, my story uh, really began when um, I was in junior high. Uh, just to give you a brief background, I was, I'm the youngest of three children. I had two older brothers that are 11 and seven years older than I am. And, um, you know, um, I didn't realize at the time that my mother had an eating disorder, but I mean, basically, you know, there was not an, an, an inordinate or unusual emphasis put on food in my family. Um, when I became, went into junior high, which is where I'm from is like seventh grade. Um, you know, I was getting into adolescence and that's the first time I really remember, um, compulsive overeating. Um, that was also the first time at school that I had had uh, access to vending machines uh, at recess or at lunch. So, of course, I felt it was my obligation to um, get something. And I just realized that my emotions were more heightened. Um, I remember I cried myself to sleep a lot at night. Uh, I didn't really know what, what was really going on. Um, in my family, my mother uh, wasn't diagnosed as bipolar until she was 83, but trust me, it was uh, rearing its ugly head back then. Of course, that was really the elephant in the room in my family. Um, my father was a physician, and my mother was a registered nurse, and um, yes, those things happen in medical families also. Um, in really looking at it, um, I, I really see the effects of how mental illness um, affected me and my relationship with my mother. Although I loved her dearly, um, my mother could get mad at the, you never knew what was gonna set her off. And man, her mouth could just, she had no filter between her brain and her mouth. And some of the things she said to me um, still hurt me to this day um, are just really cruel. You know, I was gaining weight. I wasn't, um, I wasn't super overweight, but I probably was 20 pounds overweight and I was not the perfect child. Okay. I did not look the way she wanted me to look and looks were so, um, important in my family to get up and get dressed every day and put your makeup on and look your best. Well, I mean, I, I do take a lot of pride in that, but, um, you know, I was not going to be the, um, slender, uh, teenager that she wanted to have that <clears throat> boys were all going to go after. And, um, you know, it was constantly my fault. Um, it was really, um, I, I didn't realize it, but you know, I looked good on the outside. I knew how to, to dress. I knew how to put on my makeup. I knew how to talk and laugh and, and uh, interact and with people. And you probably never would have known it because I was really good at hiding it. But 
my insides did not match my outsides at all. And um, I was very, um, on, on the inside, I really felt extremely unlovable. Um, my whole life, I had been raised in a very uh, Southern Old South family. And um, pleasing my parents was very important. So um, when I went to college, um, I had um, studied dance and I'd studied music and I, and I sang. Um, and I really had wanted to be uh, to sing and dance on Broadway. I thought that was a great idea. Well, my mother thought it was an even better idea. I guess I'm just blessed she didn't want me to go to Hollywood. But um, it's, you know, so that's the course I chose. And, um, you know, it's not easy when you're supposed to weigh about 108 pounds and you weigh about 140 pounds. You know, anything I picked, anything I did was not really in my best interest. And um, I was injured. I sustained a knee injury my senior year. <laughs> so I could not graduate. Um, I couldn't dance anymore. I mean, I literally uh, had to stop dancing and I couldn't complete all my requirements. So long and the short of it is they developed a degree plan um, to which um, they let me graduate. And, um, you know, but when I graduated, yeah, I had a degree in performing arts. I had a degree in music, dance, and theater. And in 1980, that wasn't real common. Um, but I'll tell you what, I felt like the biggest abject failure and food was my friend. Um, it became more and more my friend. I noticed that uh, my idea of binging wasn't exactly what everybody else's, or excuse me, or what other some other people's are. Um, but believe me, everything was in twos and fours. So if I got, you know, if I went for something sweet, I got two of it. And that was really a signal to me. You know, it was never enough never enough. It was two of this, two of that. Well, I didn't look like I was binging, but I was like perpetually um, grazing. And um, it's not so much the quantity I ate, but it was what, what I ate. And it was definitely um, sent my weight in the uh, upper stratosphere. Um, that was always the bane of my existence. It was always you look good, but, and I remember um, I had a friend that 12-stepped um, me. It was a lady that came into my life, and um, I knew her through work, and um, I realized I had met her when I very first moved to Dallas. Ten minutes. Thank you, but she looked so different, and I was like, wow, did, did you lose a lot of weight? I think I walked into this party with you and um, she was like, well, yeah. And um, I said, how did you do that? She she's started gently telling me. <clears throat> so I got all excited. And being the ever organized planner that I am, um, I actually planned when I was going into OA. I knew I wanted to do it. Um, I was facing some surgery, so I was going to get have the surgery, 
get through that, get through the Christmas holidays. And then in January, I was going into OA. And I did that. You know, most of the time when people plan (laughs) something that far out, they won't do it. Oh, I did it. And believe me, when I got to OA, I felt like I was home. I was around people that truly understood what I felt, how I felt, why I did what I did. I could not understand it. And for me, learning that I was a compulsive overeater was actually a relief. It wasn't um, a sentence. It was, it was actually a relief to learn there is a name for what I do. And while there's not a cure, it can be arrested. And so that gave me tremendous hope. And when I came into OA, um, my life started changing. I got abstinent very quickly. Um, I never felt so good in my life. (laughs) And um, I was in OA for about a year. And then I realized that so many of my um, food issues were really Al-Anon issues. So I started going to Al-Anon. Um, I probably went to Al-Anon well over 20 years and just gradually I've moved away from the program and I lived my life outside this program for many years and it was like I had never been in a meeting. It was interesting because I did have seven years of continuous abstinence of And my abstinence at that time was no sugar and no white flour. And then one day I picked up, I have no idea why I have no, I don't even remember what I picked up, but it was like, I had, it's like, I'd never set foot in OA. (laughs) It was, it, it, my brain just totally snapped around and I was off and running. So then I did every diet you can think of, um, I was either on a diet or off a diet. I didn't know any other way to live my life. Well, two years ago, March the 15th of 2021, I was driving home from work and I commute 40 miles each way. And that day I had eaten out of the vending machine all day. I had everything I wanted. I mean, you name it, I had it. And I, what I, I did not realize it, but I'd actually gotten loaded on sugar. And as I was driving home, I, was, I got into some real heavy traffic and I fell asleep driving and I hit a concrete guardrail. Well, it sounded like I took the front end of my car off and, and you know, that definitely woke me up. But as I was, I, I literally remember seeing my, my eyes closing and seeing my right hand just drop off the steering wheel. And when I could finally look at, stop and look at the damage that I had done on my car, y'all, it was three little bitty scratches about like this that could be buffed out. It didn't even dent the metal. And I, I stood in front of my car and I held my arms up and I just said, God, if you help me find Overeaters Anonymous, Again, I will be there tomorrow. And I was. And I came back. And once again, I knew what I had to do. I knew I had to get off sugar. I had to get off uh, white flour. I had to really clean up my act. And that was my big wake-up call. And I came back. um, And 
embraced OA um, and, and really settled in and really knew I was home. This is where I needed to be. Um, you all are my people. And um, got a sponsor, started working the steps um, and, and just started over. You know, um, one thing I've really learned is that uh, pride can really mess me up. And I need to keep that in check. I need to have a healthy um, image of myself, but I don't need to be prideful. And I was never too good to do what, whatever my sponsor told me to do, I did. I didn't ask why, I didn't question, I did it. And um, that's worked out beautifully for me. Um, I had 18 months of abstinence. Uh, up until um, about September, and um, I had gotten, life was so busy, the, the area that I was really lacking in was self-care, and I had run out of my um, Prozac, and just had been really busy, and kept trying to get it refilled, and couldn't, and one thing after another, and all of a sudden I was in a mess and I found myself um, at a crossroads one morning at work and I was either going to cry or I was going to go get some sugar. Well, guess what won? The sugar because I didn't want to cry at work. And I vividly remember holding that candy in my hand and putting it in my mouth and chewing it and saying to myself, come on, kick in, kick in. I want you to take, you know, I wanted that anxiety to go away. And I thought, oh my God, Mary Sue, if you are not a glowing picture of what an addict is, I don't know what is. And it was so humbling. And um, I don't, I don't want to say that I lost my abstinence because I got off my medication. I do think it played a part in it, but I'm not going to say that. I lost my abstinence. doesn't matter what reason it was. I lost it. And I'll tell you what, it wasn't as easy getting it back this time. And it, I went through a point that I got really scared. I wouldn't get it back. I kept going to meetings. That's the one thing I did. I went, whether I was abstinent or not. Do not ever give up on going to meetings. Don't ever throw your hands up. Go, listen, share. Do the best you can do. Put one foot in front of the other. You can get abstinent at any minute. And finally, I was at my wit's end and I called a friend of mine. Thank you. That I knew had, had been in relapse. And... Um, I, you know, I reached out for help to someone that had been there. And I remember she said, um, I said, I'm not, I'm not praying. I'm not doing any of my spiritual work. I'm not doing anything. I, I'm a mess. And um, well, do you think you could just read one page out of, out of your book? Yes, I can do that. Okay. Well, do you think you can just get off the sugar right now? Yes, I can do that. And I had to do it piecemeal. But um, when I finally got my footing back, it was 
I was, I was begging God, you know, I, I wanted it back so bad. And I finally got it back. I got it back. And December the 15th is my new um, abstinent date. I um, had to look at the pride issue of having had abstinence and lost abstinence. And I have to realize that um, there are some people that come in this program and get abstinent and stay abstinent for 40 years. There are people that come in and have abstinence and relapse and get it back and relapse. You may, you may do that, but whatever you do, do not give up on yourself and do not give up on your higher power. Because I'm telling you, there is no peace and no serenity that I've ever found than really getting to know my body and what works well and what doesn't work well. And it's getting to know myself has probably been one of the greatest journeys I've had. Um, learning to love myself, learning to realize that, you know what, I'm pretty neat. Um, I'm a fun person. Um, I have something to contribute than just being, um, you know, a placeholder. I can do things. And today, I put my program above everything else. I put my abstinence above everything else. When I get up in the morning, I read uh, the abstinence pledge that's uh, in Voices of Recovery. And I don't put abstinence above God. Um, that is my higher power, but I put it right up there with God, because if I'm not abstinent, I'm not functioning at my best. And so with that, I'll close. It's, it's um, this road of, uh, of recovery is joyous. It's exciting. It's, um, I think if you have the courage to look at yourself, it's the greatest thing. I, I really feel for people that don't. Um, because I've learned so much about myself and, and seeing how I would react to something six months ago and how I will react to it now when I've worked the steps a little more or I've worked the steps on that specific issue. Say, for example, not letting somebody irritate me and just in my head, rolling my eyes at them, just realizing, hey, you know what? They're, they're on the journey too. They're, they're like me. I'm no better. And accepting people for how they are, that is the greatest gift I have wanted for myself all my life. Just accept me as I am, not as you want me to be. So with doing that, I've really grown into uh, a better Mary Sue, a more confident Mary Sue, and a more capable Mary Sue. Thank you so much for inviting me to speak this morning. And with that, I pass.